Does anyone copy? We're gonna get ourselves out of here. You gotta help me, you gotta get me out of here. It's a hunt. They have a plan. There is no rescue party coming. There is no one looking for you. <laughs> What did you do to deserve this death? I didn't do anything! <clears throat> Joining me via Zoom to talk about their film is Christopher Donaldson, writer, director of Ditched. And it's screening at the Edmonton International Film Festival on Sunday, October 3rd at 8.30 p.m. and Monday, October 4th at 4 p.m. And you know what? As it is every year, oddly enough, this year as well, too, you would think maybe not. I'm like, absolutely. We are playing in cinemas and you can check out Ditched at Landmark City Center Cinemas 9 downtown. It's a fantastic theater. And let me tell you, it has never been quieter downtown, people. So if you don't like traffic, it's the place to be and to see great cinema like Ditched. Christopher, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you. Uh, you gave me chills there. Just the idea that my movie's going to be at a theater is incredibly exciting. Look, I'm excited too. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as well, about what that experience is. Because, I mean, it's it's been a weird year and a half on a, so many different reasons, for so many different reasons. But we'll kind of get to that about what that festival experience is like. Let's let the audience know a little bit more about Ditched. In that film, after finding themselves upside down in an ambulance, a group of paramedics, and cops, and prisoners, and patients realize that they are the victims of an ambush with the mysterious forces closing in around them. Maybe can we give the audience a little bit more of a, a detailed outline of the plot of the film Ditched? Ditched is a movie about these people wake up after a giant car accident and they're upside down. There's a police car there. There's all these bodies around who are passed out and they have to just sort of pick up the pieces and figure out how they got there because most everyone, well, a couple of the people got hit and don't remember why they're there. And so as they discover that possibly some of the patients are criminals they also discover that there's something in the woods that has come to get them as the movie progresses we may think it's a monster but it isn't it's uh actually i i guess i could say it because it's in the trailer it's a, a group of people that are there for revenge on everyone and i just wanted to make a movie that was basically turned all the good guys bad and all the bad guys good by the end of it and it worked and I think we're pretty successful at that. Oh, and I also wanted to just make a, a movie that would play on 42nd Street back in the 80s. That would be cool, too. <laughs> Thus is how Basket Case was born, right? For, uh, exactly. for all our horror exactly. friends out there. So talk to us a little bit more in detail about this chaos that surrounds the characters of Melina and the paramedic and the patient, Franson, as they're pushed to their limits as well as how you develop the relationship between these two contrasting characters. Melina is a character who, um, she's us. She's the, the reasonable one, the one that's trying to figure it out. Our eyes are through her. 
she has to navigate all these different characters and uh, a character like Franson, who's the first person she meets, we initially think he's a, a good person and almost immediately we discover he is not. And basically we wanted to put her through the gambit as hard as possible and, and have her always find herself uh, within any struggle she finds. She's constantly being slammed up against the wall and she's constantly finding a way out and it just gets harder and harder and harder. But I also wanted us to start questioning who she is too by the end of the movie. And uh, again, that uh, I don't want to give too much away for people that want to see the movie. I wanted to watch a normal person maybe not be so normal and how we get there in a natural way. Yeah, so she has a lot of chaos around her. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, she's being attacked from, from all angles. We got chainsaws. We've got men in ghillie suits with machetes. And uh, it's just, it's crazy. It's just crazy. I'll be frank with you. It's really hard for me to explain the movie because it's all a thousand different ideas in this giant cloud in my head. And to like bring it down to a succinct two minute thing is almost impossible for a guy like me. Whereas other people, it's probably easier like you. It would be easier for you if you saw the movie and you could probably break it down. I'm still like, yeah, and then this happens and then this happens. And so it's, it's difficult. I don't know. Watch out how much credit you give me here, Christopher. I don't know that uh, I deserve all that. Uh, well, maybe talk just a little bit about your writing process as well when it comes to something like that. I mean, I can see, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, maybe there are some touchstones visually, or at least uh, within story, within uh, genre filmmaking. But talk to us a little bit about how you kind of get into that mindset of developing characters, especially ones that are dealing with situations like this that are so far beyond anything that you experience. That's what I always admire as writers that can really transport you to another place mentally or emotionally that they might not even necessarily really directly connect with experience lies. I've been a screenwriter professionally for about 20 years. I think my first like actual like credit is from 97, uh, which is over 20 years ago now. I was a kid, literally a kid. And I've been a screenwriter like I fixed a lot of scripts in LA and I've done a lot of different things, worked in video games and things like that. And when I was younger, it was all like just formula. Everything was formula. And you would just like, you'd be like, and then this happens on this beat. And then the, and you'd follow a movie like Jaws and it's like your three act structure. And, and quite frankly, after about 10 years of writing like that, you get really bored and they, and, and you, you know, you build and everyone builds their scripts a certain way. What's happened though, in the last like 10 years is like, when I start a movie before anything, I always think the type of movie I'd like to see. I like this kind of movie. I'm a big fan. Like when I was a kid, I was, I, I, I used to go to the video store and just like ravage the horror section. You know, whenever they were on sale for five bucks, I'd buy everything, you know, that I can get my hands on. I wanted this to be, you know, when Anchor Bay came out and did like DVDs in the early 2000s and you just rediscovered some movie that never got a release. I wanted this to be a movie like that. It's like, what? Where'd this come from? This built, you know, and I wanted it to kind of feel like it was made in 1987. And that's kind of how I started it. It really didn't have any basis of character. It was just that. And then I started piecing together, well, well how can we do this uh, on a small level? And how can we do it where I enjoy it? It's not just like formula. I'd written a number of things. And I'd, I have another project that I'm working on as well to get finance at the moment. We wrote this a number of years ago. And what we did is, or what I did is I have a conversation with a friend. And we start talking about our lives, uh, just generally what's going on in them. And we just sort of let that go for like two hours. It has almost nothing to do with a movie at all. What we get from that is I start getting these like little ticks. Right now I'm writing something. My mom passed away last year. And that's something that's really gnawing at my soul, regardless if I've gotten past it or what. 
it's something in me right now. And I'm writing something that's related to that. And that's going to start tweaking more and more and more. And I don't, I don't sit down and do notes or anything like that. I'll find a character. And, and Melina was the character I found who I related to the most. She was like the sensible one. Who, and I think I'm a sensible person. I'm not. But uh, I mean, I wouldn't be a filmmaker if I was. But uh, she's the sensible one. And I would start building off of her life. And so back then when I wrote this, I felt desperate uh, with my career. I have a fairly successful storyboarding career going. And, you know, I've been writing for a long time, but I had success with it financially here and there and stuff like that. I didn't have that career I wanted out of it. And I was just feeling desperate. And so I wanted, I started feeling that within her and started building off of that and her navigating that. And I know it sounds really esoteric the way I'm talking here, but that's how I did it. And then I started just throwing things in front of her and circumstances. And then what happens is I think about it for about three months in the top back of my head. I don't write a note down, nothing. And I just think about ideas, visuals, everything. And it just like percolates. Every time I go to bed, I, I, I literally fall asleep thinking about it. I, I, it's just in my head all the time. And then one day I just sit down and write it. And I write it in like, I think the first draft was four and a half days. So it was really fast, but I'm just like a machine, but it's already been written in my head during that process. And it just all came out. But the key is, is that first draft, I would never show anyone. It's terrible <laughs> because it's the first draft. And then it's all rewriting. It's all the honing. So like I talked about like uh, Melina, our lead character, uh, having to go through a journey here. I need to formulate that journey. I need to like find her at the beginning and find her at the end and why and make it make sense how she gets there and just piece it together. And, and it just takes rewrite after rewrite. I mean, I was rewriting on set while we were there like yelling out new lines of dialogue. So, and that's kind of how it goes. We're speaking via Zoom today with Christopher Donaldson, writer, director of the film Ditched. It's screening as part of the Edmonton International Film Festival, and you can catch it specifically on Sunday, October 3rd at 8.30 p.m. and on Monday, October 4th at 4 p.m. at the City Center Landmark Cinemas downtown. You know, you can tell me if I'm off base here, but I thought you used the vibrant lighting to kind of contrast the isolation of the darkness that surrounded these characters, not only, you know, physically, but maybe emotionally as well and mentally in this isolated Mm -hmm. shadowy environment where they're uh, abandoned or they're stuck or trapped. Can you discuss the concept of how you kind of came about deciding what colors you wanted to use in your lighting palette and maybe the challenge of creating an almost neo-noir neon environment for this film with its high contrast lighting? Interesting. Yes. Uh, it was one of the most important things for me because I visually like I, I spent my life doing music videos as well. And I've done a lot of things, but like directing commercials. So when I was directing commercials, we would always have to get a visual sense of everything and you'd have to pitch it immediately. And so I, what I wanted to do was create a movie that if you saw an image of it, I don't care if you saw it in a magazine or, or saw it in a trailer, you would know what this movie was. It's no other movie, but this movie. And we didn't have much money. Like we had almost no money. So my theory behind the lighting was this. So our movie takes place in a ditch. The whole movie takes place in a ditch uh, with forest surrounding it. It's not a big area and we had no money. And so we couldn't really light all night every time we moved around. So I had this idea that when they got in this car accident, they knocked over uh, like a street lamp. And the street lamp slammed on the ground. And so they have this bright light from this ditch. And that's and that and that bright light is where they're always trying to get to. Because really, at the end of the day, they're trying to go from where they are about 
30 feet to this road and try and save themselves. And they just can't get there because they're going to get killed if they try. So, but they're always trying to walk towards the light. My amazing cinematographer, locally bred and uh, raised uh, Wes Miron, uh, incredibly talented guy. We had shot a few things in the past together and we just had a really good shorthand. And we decided that uh, with, uh, with putting out this light source like this, we wouldn't have to light all the time. And, but then we, we, we got to make it more. So we thought of things like what happens is, so the beginning of the movie, it's just a normal light source. And then somebody, I won't say who, gets killed by it. And some blood gets put onto it. Incredibly, just turning the whole place red and high contrast. And also it amps up your emotions for it. And it, that goes for about 20 minutes into the movie. And what that was is very, it's uh, like an Argento giallo feeling. I love old 70s giallo movies. I, I think they're the greatest. And, you know, to do one in Canada is so exciting to me. And really, it's not that hard to do. You just, you just really need some, you know, red plastic to put over your lights. And, and we did that. Then we started thinking like, well, what else could we do with this lighting source? What would make sense logically? And if it makes sense to the audience, I don't know. We'll see. But we thought, well, if the blood was on this hot lamp, it would turn sizzle, start sizzling and cook, and it would go like a yellow and then a brown. And eventually it would turn off and become a totally different light source. So it gave us this like incredibly cheap way to shoot an outdoor movie at night and give it an incredibly strong visual sense just on a lighting level alone, not including the, the cameras and the angles and stuff. And, it, and, and honestly, it, it's one of the more fun parts of it. I quite enjoyed doing that. So. And I think that's something that will definitely resonate with audiences and stick with them too. And it, it's not something that you see on a regular basis. Like we see a lot of minimal lighting, but a kind of creative use of it in a place that's so isolated, I thought was so creative. The other thing about that is this film is relentless, Christopher. And I know you know it because you wrote it and directed it. And, yeah. and it's intensity from like the first second that the film starts to roll. So, can you talk to us about how you maintain a set like this, where every scene can be so emotionally taxing on the performers and the crew? And then on top of that, you're talking about like a really tight shooting schedule and just kind of go, go, go. How do you maintain a set like that and kind of at least keep it uh, the energy in the right place that it needs to be? I had a way of speaking to everyone, uh, which there's people like Cronenberg who would literally punch their lead actress to get them to like have watery eyes. I'm not that guy. I, I believe you should cast people who know how to do the job and you would just have a conversation. I didn't speak that much to these people outside of I wanted to stick a fork in the audience at all times. I even said that to my composer whenever we got the music to really explode. I want you to stab the audience. And, and I would say things like that. Chris Lurange is, uh, is a character named Franson, and he's a local Edmonton actor, been there for years. I've seen him in many casting sessions when I would direct commercials in the local area. And Lindsay uh, Robinson, too. They were the easiest to give direction to because I would just say, this is the most intense moment of the entire movie. But I just kept saying it. And I'm like, and I would just say more, you need, you need a little bit more. Our problem was I had to get all this out quick because our time was so minimal. And we had like, we shot this movie in like 11 to 12 days. And one thing I didn't realize, we went to Edmonton. I'd worked there before. I had a, another producer who uh, really wanted us to shoot there because he knew everyone there. But uh, you don't have any nighttime during the summer, like at all. It's like, it's, it's kind of like four hours of real true night for about a three-week period. And that was the three-year period we were there. And so this is a night shoot. And it was 
it was pretty stressful at times to get 35 setups of, of your camera setups in that amount of time. And we figured out a few little tricks to do it, but, uh, and we did it, but that alone, that, that, that kind of like tension, I think was in me already. And I wasn't really yelling at people. I wasn't, I'm not a mad guy, but I think that intensity that we had to get stuff done now, 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 now was really wearing on the actors. And I think it plays through. But the other thing about the writing of it, actually, you know, I've been writing for a long time. Like I mentioned before, I hate bore, like boring moments in movies. Like I, I love a fast, hot movie, no matter what. I love Sam Raimi's earlier movies because they're all super short and they just never stop. And if you could keep a movie fast and taut and it still rolls from one scene to the next, it's golden. It's just gold. It's incredibly uh, hard to get that actually. And I always go back to Jaws. If you watch Jaws, it's not actually that small of a movie, but it's a fast movie. If you watch, sit down and watch that on a Sunday afternoon and every word says something that's going to pay off later. And we, I tried my best to do the same as I would like to see in Jaws, essentially fast moving. I'm happy that you felt that way about the movie, by the way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, unless you fell asleep before it started and got up after it was over, I can't see how you'd feel any different. <laughs> I got to ask. Uh, yeah. So without saying the ending, because we should. Yeah. For me, I think you become so invested in that energy and that action that it's, it's, you're almost kind of looking at it as is this the only way it could have ended? And I don't mean that in a bad way where it's because you're a little bit stunned. You don't see it coming. So, and I like things like that where you're not quite sure exactly where this is going to go and how you got to that part because- Well, there's a question mark at it too. Yeah, so like, is this really ending the way I think it is? Or at least yeah. do, are these people who I thought they were? And I, at the end of the day for that ending though, I wanted it to be, I wanted after the movie- yeah. Like they talk about in True Mance to go to a diner and talk about it over a piece of pie. It's like, yeah. I think everyone's going to see the ending a little differently. And uh, I don't think it's uh, the most brilliant ending that ever existed, but I think there's enough question marks to allow a conversation there. And I, I, I was hoping that would be the case for most people who see it. Yeah, I think you would look at the person next to you and, and want to discuss that for sure. Yeah. You kind of alluded, Christopher, to this local connection that we have here. And clearly we're talking about it screening at the Image International Film Festival. Uh, you did it relatively close to here. Yeah. Give us a little bit more about some of the background of some of the people that you've used here that, that are from uh, the city or kind of uh, are based out of Edmonton. I, I grew up personally in Lethbridge, uh, which isn't far. And I used to look at you guys like the, the big brother city to Lethbridge uh, as a kid before I moved to Vancouver years ago, uh, like a decade ago, I guess now, which is crazy to me. I started directing commercials and eventually I got repped by a local film production company to do Alberta commercials and Canadian commercials um, out of Edmonton called Film Brats. And Hans Dice was my producer and and, and it was great. You know, I'd shoot like eight to 10 commercials in Edmonton a year. And it would always be a really nice experience, you know, lower, lower budget than I was used to. But at the same time, it was fun. And I got to meet like, like most of the people I, I, I cast in this movie, I had seen in casting calls over the years. Uh, and, and we'd go to a hotel in downtown Edmonton. And I like Chris Lange, I I've been seeing him for 10 years. And he's, you know, he looks so much different back then. I, 
it's amazing I cast him, but he was just so great when he for the role. But and I got to meet a lot of locals uh, that way. And one of the producers I met that way uh, because he was repped as well through the there. But but then uh, what happened was a number of years later, I ended up doing a web series called Necessary Evil. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was uh, done in town as well. And it, and it had a little success. And we did that for, you know, a nice low budget, but it was a fun way for me to uh, introduce myself to a new part of the crew that are in Edmonton. And I met uh, Wes Mirren on that. And Wes and I, Wes now lives in Vancouver and we worked on Supergirl together out here. And he's a, a good friend of mine now. And we just like, uh, we're thick as thieves after that. And uh, yeah, and that brought me back as well. You know, so I, yeah, Edmonton's got a great little community. It's incredible actually, compared to like a lot of places that you, you just wouldn't expect it in Edmonton to have like this little theater community. There's a lot of actors there. It's incredible actually. So yeah, I love Edmonton. Yeah, we're speaking with lover of Edmonton, Christopher Donaldson, writer-director <laughs> of Ditched which screens at the Edmonton International Film Festival on Sunday, October 3rd at 8.30 p.m. and Monday, October 4th at 4 p.m. You can get tickets at the door or online. Landmark City Center Cinemas downtown is where you want to check it out, or you can check out the EIFF website as well. Uh, Getting back a little bit to the, uh, the film itself, like there's a hint of like a little bit of final girl characteristics in Milena. But, you know, I also saw one of the things that really spoke to me, at least, or at least I I might've been reaching for it, is that it felt like this is the character who's like the calm in the eye of the storm, uh, like Ben played by Dwayne Jones from the 1968 original Night of the Living Dead. So can you discuss (laughs) maybe some of the inspirations you had for the characters in this script? Because I felt like there were little elements like that all the time that were kind of popping up that maybe were, you know, cause you even go through and thank a bunch of influential filmmakers in your closing credits. And I'm like, well, this reads like uh, the bio of all the people I love. So I just wanted you to kind of talk a little bit about that, not to give away too many referential secrets, but uh, just what kind of love of those genre films and those filmmakers is put into ditched. Oh yeah. You nailed it, man. I'm so happy that you noticed all of that. Yeah, for sure. There's like, there's lines of dialogue from other movies that I threw in. You know, I, I don't want to say what. I made this movie for fans of this genre. And I don't believe everyone's going to love this movie. It's not for everyone. It's like Fight Club. Fight Club's not for everyone either. And I'm not saying it's Fight Club, but you know what I mean. And so as we talked before, I was a Fangoria kid. Read it like religiously. And it was like my Bible every month when I got it. And I would go through it and, and see all these incredible movies within it that i could never see because i was too young but yeah i mean franson's like five different characters like that character's like he's Hannibal Lecter, obviously like right off the bat but you know he's he's a few others i, I don't want to throw too many out there but you know i'm really happy that you saw Dwayne <laughs> from night of the living dead and melina because that's absolutely a fact yeah because Dwayne's like the ultimate character like yeah. for a horror movie right you know he's the last guy you'd expect to live through it for one in that era you know and i hate to say this like one of the reasons why women are a lot of times the lead of a, of a horror movie initially they did that just because women were the weaker sex and they really did i mean because it was like oh there's no way a woman would get through this how would a woman fight michael myers or jason Voorhees? well and i think over time we've discovered that that there's no difference most of them you know it's it's now we're we're not it's not setting her up to be weak. It's setting her up to be uh, clever and how clever she can be. And if you watch the movie, she's the clever one. 
at the end of the day. But Dwayne Jones is, man, that's crazy that you, you saw that. <laughs> yeah, very much like Dwayne Jones. So. I'm in your head, Christopher. I'm in your head. You or, certainly are. Or you just did such a great job that I picked up on it, right? That's Maybe. Let's, let's call it what it is. Yeah, each day yeah you did a great it. job. We were talking a little bit before we started uh, recording on this interview and, and what it means for you to be able to take, I mean, any film, but especially now with the way the yeah. last 16 months have gone to screen a film like this that you're super passionate about and you spent time on and, and you're bringing it back to the place where you kind of shot it with a lot of people who are going to be surrounding you who are involved with the film in front of an audience let us know what that kind of experience is like for you to kind of get back to that and be able to see you know your work with an audience at a festival like eiff particularly in time when that's kind of taken for granted a little bit now it is i am scared shitless i have been working on this the post-production of this movie because of covid and because we frankly we ran out of money and, and so our post-production ended up just getting stretched out like so long because you know, we had to like find money over here and find money over here. And, and Mark Summer, our producer, was able to kind of put it together over time and, and uh, all the power to him. He did such a great job. And we're now done. But when, you, when you're working on a movie like this and you, you lose your confidence while you're making it this long. So the idea of showing people the movie, like I've overthought it so many times, like actually being in the audience, it, it, uh, frankly, it makes my stomach turn. Like I'm scared. I, I want to throw up. And and one thing that's been good is I, I have shown it to a few people. And as you probably noticed online, there are reviews online. And for people who like this movie, they're digging it. Like people are digging this movie. And I, I, I actually can't believe that. It's kind of blowing my mind because I've just been so in the trenches for so long. So yeah, I, I will probably need some form of a bucket when we go to the theater. And I'll probably have to be at the back. <laughs> well, what's going on and i can't look at anyone and i'm just gonna be you know yeah it's gonna be bad for me but it's exciting at the same time so i don't know we'll have to go through it find out yeah you know what i'm excited to, to be there and hopefully watch you watch it there you go and then keep an eye on the movie as well uh, yeah <laughs> Christopher Donaldson has been our guest today on Moving Radio, writer and director of a fantastic independent film. Uh, it is called Ditch. Uh, we already talked about some of the things. If you like things like, uh, there's no zombies in it, but if you like that kind of like intense one space kind of drama where characters are kind of at each other, like things we talked about like Night of Living Dead, or you like the intensity of films that really kind of work not at necessarily a breakneck pace uh but always have something happening and, and fascinating things and lots of turns for the characters to go through you're going to love this film it screens at the edmonton international film festival on sunday october 3rd at 8 30 p.m and monday october 4th at 4 p.m at the landmark city center cinemas downtown and it's going to be electric because lots of people involved with it are going to be there so i would suggest you're there it's going to be fantastic christopher thank you so much for your time and especially thank you for the film oh thank Thank you. This is uh, nerve wracking and fun all at the same time. I really appreciate it. I, I can't wait for uh, everyone to see the film. I really can't. <laughs> <laughs>